the more engaged users feel with the site and with the content, the better it's going to be for the brand and not just for SEO, because this will help people keep this in mind as they go off throughout their day, throughout their week, then, you know, they'll think about it, they'll tell other people about it. So it doesn't start and end with the search engine. It goes out into the ether um, and it really helps people remember the brand and remember the experience. Um, hopefully it's a positive one, um, but I think that's, that's highly important as well for people to, to, to come back to. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Hasiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by an SEO veteran uh, and someone I've been connected with on LinkedIn for quite a while, uh, Eric Hoover. Eric has spent the better part of 15 years working on uh, SEO and con development. In that time, he has utilized organic search data and tactics to build stronger website architecture, develop con strategies uh, for various consumer-facing brands, and led teams uh, that provided measurable organic growth opportunities uh, for clients. Eric, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, thank you very much for, for joining us, and welcome to the SaaS SEO Show. Yes, it's great. This is my very first podcast experience, which is funny because all I do while I'm working is listen to podcasts. So it's uh, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you uh, in this forum too. That's great. That's that's a great thing to hear. I guess we are we are writing history then, uh, since <laughs> this is this is your first one. Uh, as we do with every guest here at the Salsa SEO, so I would like to know, even though I said a few things in the intro, but I would like to know a few things about your background. And, um, which is a very interesting background because you have seen the game through, you know, all these different iterations, uh, and throughout all these different, all, all these years that you are involved in SEO and, uh, what has brought you to, to where you are today? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I like to say that I accidentally got into SEO, which I think is how a lot of people do, you know, it's an indirect path for a lot of people. So, um, as you might be able to tell by my accent, I grew up in the New York area, grew up in New Jersey. I went to school to be a writer and a journalist. Um, but during that time, uh, a friend of mine was going for the same major. We both started a, a website. It was called Equal Music. It's not around anymore. Um, but we, uh, you know, 
basically wanted to do music reviews and interview artists, local artists, big artists. We actually had some pretty big names on the site for 2004, 2005, which are mostly artists that aren't around anymore um, or aren't as popular. But within that, we have to learn how to do, you know, like basic HTML and, and metadata and understand how to structure an article, how to structure headings, things like that. Um, you know, but we, we, we wrote from the heart. We wrote very, you know, human facing content. Again, we had, you know, at the time journalism background. So it was very editorial type content, um, and interview type content. Um, but we had to learn how to utilize early days of SEO. So I'm talking meta keywords way before they were quote unquote outlawed. Um, and making sure that there were, you know, key phrases within headings and title tags and learning what a meta description was and how to, put it in, in the HTML, there wasn't really any space on the platform we were using, which I think was an early version of WordPress to, to just pop it in, in the CMS. We had to actually like hard code it in. Um, and from there, I just started, uh, getting jobs at getting jobs, you know, finding jobs, interviewing for jobs at agencies. I remember the first interview I went on was for a company called dealer.com, which is based out of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, their automotive marketing they do uh car dealership websites and my first interview was with the person who would end up being my manager and i joked one of the first things i said well i didn't realize it was a joke but i said you know i don't really know much about cars i know how to change a tire and i could change my oil if i needed to uh, and he just uh, just kind of laughed and said you don't need to know anything about cars uh, and he taught me you know you know, keyword research and and things like that it was a lot of long tail you know if you needed uh content for a page on a 2005 Ford Focus hatchback, you know, we were the place to go to. And he, you know, him and and, and the team helped me understand how to construct that. And, and from there, it just it just took off. I've been, like you said, at agencies most of my career um, and taking the sort of art and science of SEO and content strategy, you know, and growing it as it's changed over over those 15 years. It sounds to me that you had uh, really humble beginnings, uh, you know, considering where you are today, which is, I think, a great thing uh, for anyone to to experience all these different levels uh, before they get to a, a different point, uh, to a better point. I would like to know, seeing all this, you know, ev this involvement, let's say, of, of organic search and how we as users of organic search uh, search how would you summarize these 15 years of, of trying to figure things out? Um, so it's really all about that, you know, helping people find what they're looking for. To me, it's always been about, you know, whether it's a pharmaceutical brand or an over-the-counter, uh, you know, medication. I have a lot of pharmaceutical experience, which is why those come up a lot or you're looking for a Ford Focus or, you know, what have you. We're trying to get users to the information that they are looking for to help them. It sounds very cheesy, um, but I, you know, it, to me, it's always about helping someone find what they're looking for. So, you know, helping them through that journey, you know, developing the content based on what those users are looking for, whatever the vertical is, and making it useful to them, making it direct, but also helping them along on a, on a journey to get them to that information. That to me is sort of the one thing that has not changed with, with SEO. Um, and so much has changed over the years from both a content and technical perspective, but really helping people find the answers to the questions or find a product that they need 
whatever that is and whatever that journey looks like, helping the user throughout that journey is is key. And it's the one thing throughout my career that has that has it's evolved, but it's never gone away. Do you find it difficult to adapt? Like every time a change happens, because like being 15 years in the SEO game is is quite some time. Uh, and so I guess that many of the things that you used to do, I don't know, 15 or 10 years ago are not obsolete, but they, let's say- Some of them are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's say they're quite outdated. And I don't know how easy it, it is for, for someone to accept that and say that, you know what, okay, this was working, but I can't keep keep doing that anymore. I have to adapt, I have to find new ways. And I would like to know how, how difficult that is uh, to always keep on top of your game and adapt to these changes and accept them and embrace them even. Yeah, it could be challenging, but it, it, to me, it's all about, and this goes back to why one of the things I love about SEO in general, it's, it's about, it's about the data. Like, what is that, what is that telling us? If, you know, it's telling us, for example, that, you know, Google is not crawling or caring about meta keywords anymore, or if certain types of content is no longer being prioritized, if it's content that's written for search engines versus humans as we're seeing with the helpful content update. It's all about the, you know, the data and case studies and what we're seeing in the landscape. So from my standpoint, you know, that helps me understand, okay, we can't keep doing this. It's going to end up maybe not causing a downshift for a client or for a website, but maybe they're just going to plateau and it's not going to help them advance in the organic space. But that also helps, helps me. It helps my team explain to the client. Or if it's in-house explaining to the stakeholders, we cannot keep doing this because, you know, as we're seeing week over week, month over month, traffic is flatlining or it's decreasing. If we keep putting money into X, Y, and Z, um, or time into X, Y, and Z, it's just not going to give us any great results. Uh, we need to start, you know, advancing with the space. Um, so it's always, and it comes, it, Everything comes down to to the data, to whether it's something like that or just your, you know, we're doing monthly reporting and we're seeing month over month certain keywords aren't ranking. What's our strategy to change that? You always have to have some sort of data to back up, you know, what we're seeing. Um, and I, that's how I look at at the changes, you know, and it's and that's the tricky thing too is both for myself, for my team, for stakeholders, for clients with SEO. It's not an immediate change. Um, it's something that you have to watch for a while, experiment with, um, so that, you know, selling that in is also, uh, tricky as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And the, the issue that I see is that, which also may explain why many, why agencies in general have a questionable, let's say reputation is that, <laughs> uh, many, many people and many professionals are kind of anchored in uh, strategies yeah. and tactics that used to work. And the thing is, like with everything, when it comes to, to Google and organic search, that when there is exploitation, when there is an abuse of a certain, uh, like we found a loophole and let's all do the same until yeah. we, we will stop doing it because it doesn't work anymore, because Google has figured th things out and they have rolled an update. Uh, I, I think that it's it's difficult to to accept that and and move forward. And I see this change happening now with um, with content and how we understand content and produce it and um, 
in general, I mean, how we approach content, which is something that I would like to to discuss uh, uh, later on. Um, but um, yeah, I guess that you're right. Uh, data is the should be uh, treated as the source of truth. Let's say to to guide us uh, in the in yeah. the things that we do, the decisions that we make. Yeah, because the data doesn't lie. I mean, it depends on how your your analytics are set up, obviously. But if everything is set up properly. And if Google doesn't decide to, uh, you know, not, you know, the search console decides to not work for a day or two, you know, that might happen from time to time. Um, but otherwise, you know, that's it. That's what we have to go on. That's that is the truth. That's the, you know, that's the evidence, as I like to say. That's, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I, I assume that um, you've worked with several brands all these years on their content SEO efforts. And I would like to know if there are any key learnings from from this journey so far. Uh, besides the one that you mentioned uh, earlier, and if there are any examples of companies you worked with or case studies, uh, specific case studies that were defining for you, eye-opening for you, and contributed to shaping your your current view of of things. Yeah, so there's two I could think of. I, I might not say the brand names, but I could say what sort of verticals they're in. Um, but both in both cases, it was all about. Um, you know, using first off using SEO from the ground floor, like as soon as the project started, SEO was brought in immediately along with UX, along with content, along with development. Um, but they were both overarching journeys, full, full funnel journeys, you know, in agencies, we like to use the funnel a lot. Um, but that's really the key to it was we had SEO brought in to take a look at the competitive landscape for these brands and see where we could have touch points, where organic can help these brands from a higher funnel, just sort of high funnel informational standpoint of content of what these products were, um, a sort of mid funnel consideration phase, and then how can we impact the product phase? Um, so with both examples, one was an over-the-counter medication and one is an electronics, a major electronics brand. Both are global brands. Um, and with the medication brand, we actually were brought in um, at the start of a brand new website being constructed. Um, so we worked directly with the development teams um, and the UX teams to see how the site should be structured based on competitive analysis, based on that funnel approach, you know, even down to the URL structure, sort of high to low funnel, broader keywords to more direct purchase driven keywords, um, conversion driven keywords, things like that. Um, and then the content and the site structure being set up the same way. Um, you know, where should the content live within the site? What should it speak to? So we had higher and mid funnel pages that were talking about like the symptoms of conditions that this drug treated and ways that you could manage it. And then the lower funnel was more about direct treatment with the actual medication or with the medication as a support structure. Um, this site ended up being very successful from both obviously branded, but a non-brand perspective. This was around 2015, 2016, they ended up ranking really well for sort of longer tail, uh, man you know, pain management keywords. Um, that site ended up winning an award. I have it on my LinkedIn because it's one of two awards that I've ever won in SEO because SEO doesn't get a lot of awards. Um, uh, but we won a content marketing award, you know, and SEO was included in that because of the content strategy and the build um, of that whole website. And the other one, the other one I'm, I mentioned, the electronics brand, 
uh, same thing. It was very much, you know, informational content about certain products that they sold versus their competitors. Um, that was a direct sort of counterattack because this one of this brand's main competitors was another global electronics brand that would directly attack them on their website and on their social media. Like it was kind of insane, actually. We had to take a more indirect approach, just doing a lot of comparison content, why you should have this type of device versus their device, why it was quote unquote better without saying it was better, saying why it was different, why there were more advantages. Um, and then, of course, within that content, leading users to sort of category level or product level pages to so driving users who might not be familiar with the brand or, or are still in the early consideration phase, bringing them down into a, a more purchase funnel uh, phase. Um, and, and, you know, they were very successful. And those are, again, and any SEO listening to this will will know these frustrations and hopefully agree that SEO works best when it's brought in very early in the phase of any development, whether it's content, whether it's a technical update, a migration, especially um, SEO works best when brought in early on. There is nothing worse than when an SEO hears someone say, can you SEO optimize this for me? Like a day before it launches or after it launches. And people listening out there, if they're SEOs, they have heard that phrase before. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand. And I guess the, the common denominator in both of the examples that you shared is the fact that SEO has a, a seat at the table, as I understand yeah. it. And yeah. so I guess this is the this is the, the the key learning here that when seo has a voice and can uh, has a say on things early on uh not you know one day before launch or whatever then great things can happen yeah yeah those are the best successes that that i've, I've seen is the earlier seo is brought on uh, the better it turns out not, and not just for you know organic this helps you know, with social, this can help with with paid, as as we know. Um, you know, just overall UX strategy. Even one of my favorite things to do is work directly with content strategists, work with UX strategists, um, because to me, SEO, content UX, they all kind of fit within the same genre. I agree with you. Uh, and speaking of content, uh, you've been monitoring uh, the the evolution of Google search algorithm for the last fifteen years or so. Considering that Google has been releasing the the latest um, its latest helpful content update uh, these days, I'd like to know if you see the update as the natural evolution um, of Google's algorithm, um, and let's say a better way of evaluating content and experiences uh, online. Um, and I would also like to know what are your thoughts on the general impact that this algorithm update may have on how we understand and uh, perceive and do content? Yeah, well, I think the impact will just be the content needs to be more human. And I think that sites that have already been doing that won't really see a negative impact. They might see a positive impact, but I don't think they'll see much or any negative impact from this. Um, you know, it's it's I've been calling this the the spam update. That's not a spam update because they're not calling it a spam update and technically it's not, but it sort of is um, because if you're writing content solely for search engines, um, it, it can be a little spammy. Um, 
and I, I think this is the natural progression and it will continue to be this way. It's a pushback on AI generated content, yes, but I think overall it's just a continuation of Google saying, listen, your content needs to speak to the human first. Um, it needs to answer, like I said before, answering their questions, answering their needs, talking in a natural tone. Yeah, you could have keywords in there. You should have keywords in there, but they need to be used uh, strategically. They need to be uh, placed appropriately. They need to be not overutilized. Um, and just overall, this content needs to be natural. It needs to read as though a human wrote it because a human should write it. Um, it could be assisted by an AI, but it should not be authored by an AI. That's my opinion. Um, I don't know if AIs will ever be smart enough to have fully human focused content. I don't think within the next few years they will, maybe one day in the future when we're talking Star Trek times, but right now I, I don't think so. I think AI can assist in many ways, but it still needs that human touch. It needs to be authored by a human. Um, and monitored by a human as well, you know, checking in every so often when the analytics tells us to, um, you know, to do a refresh. Um, but to go back to your sort of bounced around there a little bit, but uh, yeah, you know, I think the, the evolution of this is is more human content um, in many different forms too. I, I obviously over the last fifteen years, my experience has been very, you know, authored written content. But for the last few years, um, you know, other forms of content have become very important to search, to Google within organic results. And, and as an SEO who works in agencies, you know, ha having clients kind of sort of buy into the idea of different types of content is something that's been a bit of a challenge, um, but I think it's very important. We now know and have known for many years that something like YouTube is, is a huge search engine. It's the you know, second largest search engine. Um, so having video content that is properly optimized is very important. There's a lot of talk now about optimizing social like TikTok, which is sort of hilarious to me, but also kind of makes sense because people go to, I was trying to fix a faucet a week or two ago in this new apartment, adjust, I just wanted to adjust it. And I searched and uh, along with YouTube videos, there was a, a TikTok video came up um a, uh, also a youtube short video came up the new youtube shorts which is a new platform so all these things need to be kept in mind when developing content it's not just about a page on a website with a written articles you need visuals you need walkthroughs you need shareable content like that's something that i think is only going to get more important um to google and to 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 many brands as well I agree with you. And to your last point, we, uh, I often, I talk to a lot of people, um, because of my work and the podcast. And, um, lately I've been hearing a lot about this idea of interactive content and trying to create something that's a bit more, um, let's say conversational and not just purely text and a couple of images and that's it. Um, yeah. and we have people who talk about some cases, uh, here at the pod, at the podcast as well. And I would like to hear your thoughts on that. As I understand it, and especially from an agency standpoint, it's more difficult to push towards, you know, let's, let's do something more interactive because that may require development time. And, yeah. you know, it's always difficult to take, to request development time. Um, uh, whereas, you know, writing text, it's not. Uh, let's say yes, uh, like you can, you can control that, uh, better, yeah. but I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Do you see, 
um, let's say a gradual shift or not a shift, but do you see interactive con let's say uh being more present in in uh content moving forward yeah absolutely i think that users want to interact more um they want to feel more engaged especially as you know again social media like instagram like TikTok, become more prevalent uh people want to feel like they're more part of a moment part of this engagement um and i think overall it will help with again, using the word engagement, it will help with site engagement overall. It will keep users on the site longer, keep users exploring the, the site or the page more. Um, so I do think it's important. I do think we'll continue to see it grow. Um, it can be tricky, like you said, to sell someone on the idea of developing it. It's much more time consuming. But uh, again, I'll go back to sort of the idea of what, what analysis and what data is showing us, you know, if we're going to see users engaging more or competitors doing more interactive uh, content, that's something that will only feed the need for it for more brands, more or websites to utilize it. Um, and then at the end of the day, it's all about tracking how users find that content um, and how they interact with it to, to really sort of drive the point home. Um, personally, uh, yeah, I've worked with a little bit of, of that type of interactive content um sort of like you know websites that allow you to click through sort of like a, a a quiz or questionnaire things like that um or you know sort of user generated content in a sense where you're asked to you know you know a video is posted and you know leave your comments in the video things like that those are sort of very basic examples of that type of content i think um but again you do see engagement with these types of of, of pieces of content across many different types of brands. Like the, the examples I gave earlier are just two of the verticals that I work on, um, both previously and, and currently. And the more engaged users feel with the site and with the content, the better it's going to be for the brand. And not just for SEO, because this will help people keep this in mind as they go off throughout their days, throughout their week. Then, you know, they'll think about it, they'll tell other people about it. So it doesn't start and end with the search engine. It goes out into the ether um, and it really helps people remember the brand and remember the experience. Um, hopefully it's a positive one. Um, but I think that's, that's highly important as well for people to, to, to come back to. I agree with you. And I, I think that some of the best ideas and, um, some of the most visited websites nowadays have started by not thinking of SEO and by just developing something that was not there, um, before the need was not there and they created demand for, for that. And I think that we are going to publish a, a blog post on our website about that. We we call that heuristic SEO, obvious algorithmic SEO. Mm. You know, I, care, I care only about checking the boxes, which I, I wouldn't say that you know belongs to the past, but I would say that we need more of the other way, like more creative approach as to how you can uh, not just target keywords, but like actually create demand for for something. Mm. Um, speaking of, of which, um, one thought, one thought I have, uh, very often is that since many of the, the traditional elements that SEO professionals used to, to work on have less significance, uh, some of them we, we mentioned earlier, for example, tile tags, um, what do you think the role of an in-house SEO professional or SEO agency will be in the future? And I guess my question is, um, will 
there be anything left for for us to do uh in the years <laughs> to come i hope so uh yeah no there's gonna be plenty for us to do i i think that seo is still kind of a a, a niche thing within the marketing advertising world whatever you want to call it um so i think having that expertise is something that's always going to be needed um and you're always going to need strategy everything we've talked about in this chat stems from the idea of a brand or a company or whomever needs to needs a strategy to get their message out and you could have no title tags no meta descriptions you're still going to need content on the page you're going to need that content to work and load and run properly from a back-end perspective and you're still going to need to understand what the landscape looks like what other pieces of content if it's not a title tag or a meta description what is ranking out there what are your competitors doing if there aren't any competitors what are similar maybe there's like editorial sites talking about what you represent as a brand or as a product or a person even what else can you look at out there and what are those people or places doing how do you build a strategy off of that and that's what seos will always be needed for in my opinion there might be plenty of ai's out there one day writing titles and meta descriptions or google will just say you know what we're just going to take what we want and put it on as the title and meta description because they've done that before and they still do it um but you're still going to need someone in those initial early phases and that's something that whether with my teams whether the person is more technical focused or more content focused i tried to guide them towards that path of thinking about things strategically and helping them simplify it sounds a little insulting but just helping them be able to explain it to people who are not seo savvy um because that's something else that's always going to be needed from an seo is someone who can understand it from a granular perspective from a technical perspective but be able to explain it to people who are not seo savvy or are not data savvy um it's a very important talent and i think that seos who can do that will will flourish not to say SEOs I can't do that won't flourish. There's always going to be needs for, you know, people who are just like, you know, in the back end and, and doing their thing or more development focused people who might not be comfortable talking to a client or someone. And that's totally fine. Um, I'm not a great developer. I need someone to develop for me. Um, so that's, that's totally fine. And there are developers who can do both. I sound like I'm insulting developers now, which I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, obviously, uh, developers are, I, I admire them. And I think that yeah. uh, in order for a team to to work properly, you need everyone uh, to have a, yes. a, a seat at the table and, you know, uh, bring their own uh, way of, of viewing the, the world, let's say. Now, yeah. speaking, speaking of, of that, like client communications and communicating our, our work, uh, your background is primarily in agencies. And I would like to uh, ask you how you managed to get clients to launch new content SEO initiatives and actually materialize your recommendations. And I guess my question is, how can SEOs, both those who work internally uh, as, as in-house employees and those who, are, who work in agencies, freelancers, whatever, uh, how can they communicate their work more efficiently so that they can uh, get the, the buy-in they need to launch initiatives faster? Um, at a basic level, I find roadmaps are the easiest way to get stuff 
put, pushed through, you know, from an agency standpoint, putting hours behind something, even if it's an estimate, um, going back to developers a moment ago, you know, a developer needs to know how long it's going to take to put something in, you know, where they can fit it in their sprint, you know, that kind of stuff like that is something that takes time to learn. It's I've only been doing it myself of uh, the last few years, but at a basic level, just having something road mapped out, um, that that's going to help really push through literally getting the stuff implemented uh, in a timely fashion. Um, at a higher level view, when you're just trying to sell strategy in or sell tactics in, that comes down to that goes back to what we talked about, you know, having that data that suggests um, maybe this is the best time to publish this type of content based on let's look at a 12 month view of, of keyword data. Oh, November is the best time to talk about this subject based on the number of average monthly searches. This is when we should launch that content. Well, actually, the month before is the best time to launch that content because it takes time, which you should explain to the client as well. This takes time, um, which is sort of the, the should be the slogan for SEO in general. This takes time. Um, but, but just laying it out for them again, going back to what are the key points? What are the data points? Um, what is the best time to launch content, for example? Um, and that's not only just from a keyword perspective, that might be, um, I work with an education brand at my current role. We don't do major updates on the website in August, September, because August, September are their biggest times of the year. They can't worry about a website issue something you know crashing something not working taking a risk quote unquote during that time period once we hit you know late spring early summer that's when we'll experiment we'll do a lot of testing granted the audience the actual visits to the site is smaller but they can take risks around then um so so and that goes back to having the roadmap set up of of when is the best time to do something when is not the best time to do something and again that's not just about seo that's about the brand perspective and that's another thing too is taking the brand perspective into account if you are working either at an agency or you're working freelance or you're working in-house with stakeholders you know what is their perspective on when is the best time to launch something from outside of an SEO box, because as SEOs, we can get very tunnel vision-y. I spend a lot of time talking about how everyone needs to have a seat at the table, but at the same time, I and my team need to understand that, well, the brand has priorities for you know January, February, or November, December, and we need to take that into account as well. So everyone's you know, sort of opinion needs to be considered. Um, you know, I'm not saying that one group needs to have final word over another from an SEO perspective, we might say, well, we need to do this now because of the reasons. And they might say, well, we can't do this now because of reasons. That's when it's the trickiest to sort of say, all right, let's take a step back and try and find when is the right time to maybe do a site migration or when we'll have the least business impact. Um, yeah. I have another question for you um, regarding vendor evaluation. There are obviously many unreliable, let's say, or um, not so trustworthy uh, providers out there. <laughs> however, however, there are uh, many, um, many trustworthy ones. Um, and my question is, based on the experience that you have over all these years working at agencies, 
how can clients protect themselves and choose the providers who can really um, drive impact um, on their businesses? Yeah, I think with with vendors, with you know some of the tools that we use, things like that. I think engagement also is a big thing for them, and I think, and a lot of agencies do this as well, where they sort of angle themselves as we're not your agency, we're not your you know analytics tool, we're your partner, we're there with you, and I think that, and that's shown to work with the growth of places like a like a Deloitte or EPAM or companies like that, where you become literally part of the team, like you're hired by Deloitte or whomever. But you know, when you have the client, you are a part of the client's team, you have a client email, you have all that kind of stuff. So really being, you might be an agency, or you might be a vendor, but really being connected as much as as, as possible. And I'm not saying, you know, you're taking calls from the client at 2am, hopefully you don't have a client like that. Um, but being there when, when you're needed and, and even when you might not be needed, um, staying engaged, um, the best vendors we work with as an agency and the best feedback we get from clients as their agency is being proactive. Um, any vendor that is proactive, sending out one sheeters or white papers about algorithm updates without being asked, things like that, um, that can really help and i think that's very important i think you don't want to just be there answering questions when i come in being you know reactive to things that are happening you need to be as proactive as possible to what's happening within the landscape uh suggesting ideas suggesting tactics or just keeping a client or a company abreast of what's what's going on in the world of, of search I agree with that. And uh, that's exactly what I was uh, telling one of my team members just before we get on, on this uh, on this call. Um, exactly that. Th that was exactly the, the, you know, being proactive is, is extremely important. And it, it takes you out of so many, let's say, uh, difficult situations also, because yeah. with an update, for example, all you can do, all you have to do is just, you know, write an email, uh, inform them. Also, because you know that at the end of the day, they will search for information somewhere online. And it's better if that place uh, where, you know, they, they are going to look for information first is your blog or, I don't know, your, your YouTube channel or whatever you, mm -hmm. you distribute yep. your con. So I agree with you 100%. Uh, we are running out of time and I have one last question for you. 15 years in the SEO industry. Um, how do you think the next 50 years will be? Feel so old when you say that. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think it's just going to continue to be human focused. It's going to be whether it's written content, interactive content, um, whether it's on desktop, on your phone, it's not going to be on desktop. Um, it's going to be, you know, that type of human focused content. It's going to still be helping people find the information they're looking for, helping them throughout their journey and doing it, uh, you know, as quickly as possible, both from a technical standpoint and an informational standpoint. Um, it's just helping the user. People want to, people are busy now. So maybe more than ever, um, people need to find answers to questions quickly and have the, those answers be informative. Um, and that's just going to be what it is. It's what it is now. And that's what it will, will continue to be. I like it. And I think that this is a great way to, uh, close this episode. 
Eric, this was very insightful. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I really hope to to have you on uh, again uh, at some point in, in the future. Um, last question I have for you, uh, call to action for our listeners. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch if they want? Yeah, I, I have a website, uh, erichooverdigital.com. I haven't updated it in like two years, um, but it's got some of my older projects on there as as case studies. It's got my LinkedIn all that kind of stuff. So feel free to reach out on there. Um, yeah. Okay, we will drop it in the show notes. And uh, once again, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it knowing how busy you are. And uh, yeah, looking forward to more human centric, uh, let's say content and experiences online. Yeah, same. Yeah, this is great. Thank you very much. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, AHS. AHRS provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use AHRS Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahers.com slash AWT and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.